Last week, I started a new series. I will go over it a little bit today. The Lord willing, I will put both these on the, the podcast today. I actually got several of them I need to put on there. I've slacked over the last week. I've slacked over the last week. I'll try to put several several of them on there, and I may even try to pull out an old one from way back when and stick it on there. I need to do a little better with that. If you have not got the podcast, you can let me know. I will um, text you the info to the podcast, the link to it. It does get shared on Facebook usually. When we put a new one on there, I try to share it on Facebook. You share it. Let's do everything we can. We're living in a new time, okay? We're living in a totally different time than when we started this church 12 years ago. When we started this church 12 years ago, I had a, a little bitty phone, and I didn't do text messaging because they cost uh, so much, and there wasn't unlimited text. And I mean, I may remember the day that, you know, you got so many minutes, and it rolled over, and after a year, you're, you lose your minutes, and Everybody tried to talk after 9 o'clock and before whatever time it was. How many members in days? I remember them. But, uh, I'm thankful that technology has come along, but things are different. And we got a different way to do it. We got, we're having to learn better, okay? But anyway, I'm, I'm glad to be in the Lord's house today. I'm glad you're here. First Corinthians chapter 12. I told you 13, but let's go to chapter 12. That's where I started at. Verse 27. And... Um, I will go over a little bit of last week's, as I did with the wisdom, um, as I did with the wisdom one, I will do the same with um, this one. I will go back and recount every one of them. So, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 said, Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some of the churches, first apostles, secondly, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps governments, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles, are all apostles, prophets, I'm sorry, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? He said, but covet earnestly the best gifts. But listen to the last part of verse 31. Yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Everybody say an excellent way. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to be in the house, Lord. Thank you for everybody that's here today, God. Love these people. And I'm thankful for them, Lord. We love you and give you praise. Thank you, God. Open our heart, our spirit. Uh, give us a great understanding today. Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I started last week and we kind of recap some. Um, you know, we all want to have gifts of God. We all want to have prophecy flowing out of our lives. But the Bible teaches us that we are to be people who are a people of love. We exercise love in all our relationships. And this is something that's hard to grasp in the hour that we're living in. It's easy to love um most times it's easy to love your wife. Most times it's easy to love your spouse and your kids. And sometimes you want to choke them. I understand that. They want to choke you. I understand all that. But the concept of the Bible type of love is something that goes beyond that. It transcends that. We're to love our enemies. 
We're to love those and do good to those who despitefully use us. That's not an easy concept. Hebrews 12 and 14 said, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. See, the Bible tells us that we are to make every effort to live in peace with some men. No, no, that's not what it said. It said with all men. And to be holy. How awesome would it be to live in peace with everyone around you? And to be holy at the same time. But sometimes it's it's hard to be holy when you don't feel peace with somebody. I mean, it's hard to be holy when you want to bust somebody in the nose, right? It's hard to be holy when, when uh, you know, you're upset at your wife or your, your spouse and you just want to choke her and kick her and all that. It's hard to be holy like that sometimes. But you want to do the same to you. Today I'm, I'm continuing the series that I started last week and in the reading my text again this morning, verse 31, it said, you know, covet the best gifts, he said, but I want to show you, paraphrasing here, verse 31, he said, I want to show you a more excellent, more excellent way. Apostle Paul teaching the church in Corinth about the gifts of the Spirit and what each gift does. And, and then Paul said, but I'm going to show you um, a more excellent way. A more excellent way. If I say a more excellent way. After he says a more excellent way, immediately we start reading Corinthians 13 and 1. And I said last week, you got to remember that the Bible, when, when it was written, wasn't written in, in uh, chapters and verses. It was written as a letter. And the good gracious of some people that are smarter than us decided to go in and figured out the context of each uh, letter, broke it down and made it into chapters and verses to help us understand it and reference it better. And this is one of those situations. You know, he went straight from writing about the gifts to all of a sudden talking about love. And, and uh you know, he went from, I'm going to show you a more excellent way to, you know, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity or love, he said, I become sounding brass and deep and simple. A more excellent way. It's a way of love. Gifts are great, but love is the foundation of being a child of God. Love is the foundation of, of living for God. After all, God is, we know, right? What is God? God's love. Love is just the foundation. In these series of sermons, I, I plan on helping us deal with how we get along with people and how to live a more excellent way. Amen. You know, it's really hard to live in peace when you have hatred towards somebody. Amen. It's really hard to live in peace when you're, uh, you and your wife fuss all the time. It's hard to live in peace when you and your kids fuss all the time. Are you the neighbor? Or are you your mom and dad? Or, or whoever? You know what I'm talking about today. Well, Paul's, Paul's saying, you know, he tells us about all the gifts of, you know, it's like when, when you look at, uh, you know, we're going to focus on chapter 13, the, what we call the love chapter. But, you know, as Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, you know, and he's going down through there and, and he's dealing with it, we find that chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians deals with uh, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And then chapter 14 deals with prophecy and, and, and orders and things like that. But stuck right in the middle of them two subjects is love. As I said last week, that tells me two things. It tells me you don't have to love to have the gifts working in your life. You know, 
I've seen some really, really anointed uh, people with gifts that once I got to know them, I'm like, I don't like you. Just being honest. I've, I've had some people that I, man, I, they were just awesome. I, man, they're incredible men of God, but then I got to know them like, hmm, I don't know. Because see, the Bible tells us in Romans, he said the gifts of calling God are without repentance. God is willing to give you a gift to invest in you, to hoping that, that that something in your life will kick in and that gift can be used in a great and mighty way. I've seen people with the gifts of prophecy that you just really didn't want to cross them when they got done. There was a man, I would not call his name, some of you probably would know him, and uh, when we was going to the home missions conference several years ago, Brother Donnie, he was, he's a man, matter of fact, that I was at church one night, he laid hands on me, and he spoke to me. He read my mail right where I was at. And give me, Sister Lisa, something I needed in my life. We were in the home missions conference, and he happened to be there. And, and Bethany and his daughter was talking some. And then um, Bethany being a kid in motel. You know, we're in motel room. That's how easy it is. You just call from room to room. It's easy. And uh, she was calling there, was wanting to talk to that girl, got nervous, and, and thought she was not calling. But she was. Just dial them never hang up, dial them hang up. Well, maybe prophesied to me the day the girl picked up the phone and was kind of hateful. I'm like, I'm not sure about that. Kind of rubbed me a little bit wrong. Today, the man's not in the truth no more. Today, he's divorced from his wife. Today, he is. Uh, in a church that has gone a totally different way than embracing a lot of the a lot of the things that the Bible teaches, but guess what? He still is. He still has the gifts of prophecy working in his life. Why? Because you don't need love to have the gifts to work. Because the gifts and calling God are without repentance. So number one, this tells me when I say that he talks about the gifts, that he talks about the love, and he talks about the prophecy. It lets me know, Brother Donnie, that you know what? You can have the gifts of God, but not really have the love of God. That's why when he looks at some people, Sister Lois, he's going to be able to say, they're going to say, hey, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do all these great works in your name? But Jesus is going to look at them and say, look, you depart from me because I never knew you. You know, you've heard me say enough. That word knew means... It means to have an intimate relationship. It means, look, you need to depart from me. I don't care what kind of great gifts that you had that I give you that you use even for the kingdom of God, but yet you didn't have a relationship of love with me. See, you can have the gifts and not love. It's almost like Sister Sister Lisa, he was telling about all these gifts, but hang on a second. Let me tell you, these gifts are good, but there's a more excellent way. There's a way it's called love. And this is what he's done. It tells me two things. But also, love must become real before the real prophetic and the great miracles happens. One reason we're not seeing great miracles in the churches right now is because, you know what, we may have gifts, may have this, but we don't love like we need to love. When there begins a flow of love in the church, there's going to be a flow of miracles that begin to happen in the church. I believe once we get the love where it needs to be, we're going to start seeing blinded eyes open. We're going to start seeing people get out of wheelchairs. We're going to start seeing the person that everybody in town knows they're a drug addict, they're, they're a meth head and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, they're going to come. Their lives are going to be changed and the God's going to make them missionaries and preachers. But we're not seeing that right now because we don't got the love where it needs to be. 
So last week, I started off talking about love. The first thing about is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, 1 through 4. But uh, let, let, me read, let me read that part again. So though I speak with the tongues of men, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 1, though I speak with the tongues of men, angels, and have not charity, um, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass, tinkling symbol, though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand the mysteries of all knowledge, though I have faith so I can remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity. Just remember that charity, this word charity means love, okay? It profited me nothing. Um, and I got to that point. And I talked about a few things. Let me recap that. I talked about the first three verses. And um, in First Corinthians chapter 13, about how we live a more excellent way. Everybody say love. These verses talk about the importance of love in our life. And he, he started off and said, I, he said, I want to show you the best way to take care of virtually every situation. He said, that's the way of love. And he points out these first three verses is that love is more important than four other things that us Christians consider very important. And the first thing he said, um, love is more important than any spiritual gift. He said, I don't care if you have all these gifts. He, he, he began to name them all, you know. I don't care if you have all these gifts. Love's more important because the gift of the call of God's without repentance. You can have a gift but not love. Then he said in verse 2, he goes on to say, love is more important than knowledge. He said, you know, if I have the gift of prophecy and, and can fathom, uh, one verse said, I can fathom all the mysteries of knowledge of God, but I have not love. I'm nothing. Doesn't matter how smart you are. If you don't love people, I know some brilliant people, but they don't love. It doesn't matter. He said, look, I don't care how smart you are. You got to learn how to love. If you know it all, but you don't have love, then you're nothing. Then Paul said, thirdly, here's that Paul says that love's more important than faith. Not the type of faith that you see somebody healed, but the faith that you know, I am what faith are you? You know, people say, What faith are you? I'm Pentecost, or Apostolic, whatever. It's what you believe. In other words, it's saying, you know, I don't care if you do believe in Acts 2.38. I don't, I don't care if you do believe the fact that, that you embrace it, you understand that you need to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and feel the Holy Ghost. I don't care if you understand there's only one God and his name is Jesus. You know, if you've got them understanding whatever faith you are, that you understand all the doctrines of the Bible, but you don't love it, I'm going to do it. You know, I, I, it, it, he said, if you got faith that you can move mountains, but you don't love nothing. It's important. And he goes on to say, love is more important than your generosity. He said, if I give all to possess the, uh, all my possessions to the poor, and I give my body to be burned, but yet I love not. Nothing. It doesn't matter how much you give in the church. What matters is how much, why you're giving. Are you giving because you love, or are you giving because you want somebody to know what you're doing? Are you giving because you want a name, or are you giving just because you love? We closed last week with the, these verses and some some of my favorite ones. Uh, John 13, 34. I guess I have a lot of favorites, but this is one some of my, that stand out, you know. Jesus, I give you 
And you command it, John 13, 34, 35, that you command it, I give you that you love one another, so I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have loved one another. You know, he said, you're gonna people's gonna know that you're my disciple by the way you love. And that's the truth, folks. People's not going to know that you're a Christian if you don't love. Right? People's, your kids might not understand what it really means to be a Christian if you come to the house of God and you shout and worship all the place and you go home and have fits on everybody in the house. You treat everybody in the house like a trash or less than you. It's not going to do no good. Love. We have love. And I also like the way he said this. I, that you love one another. Jesus said as I have loved you. That's the key, folks. That we love like Jesus loves. So today I'm going to pick back up at verse 4 and 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read verse 4 through 8. I'm not going to concentrate on all of them, but this starts talking about what love is. And this is what we're going to start getting into. We found out why we need love, because love is more important than anything else, basically saying. Now then we're going to look at what love really is. And verse 4 says, let me replace charity with love, okay? Because this is what we're talking about. And charity and love is the same thing. So I'm going to replace charity with love as I'm reading it. So if you're a follower, you're going to see me say love instead of charity. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity, love, never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, whether they, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We are real people. We're real people who, we're men and women who we work, work in this crazy world that love is not always real evident. We're in a very rough time in America. I think it's a little better than it was. But um, people concentrating on racist and hate speeches and all this kind of stuff. If anybody is on on Facebook, and you have uh, seen Brother Daniel Walter said that night, oh my goodness, forever more laid it out about the importance of loving everybody. It was, it was phenomenal, but we're living in a time when, when it's very evident that love is not always there. We have moms and, and dads, and we have husbands and wives and sons and daughters. We're trying to relate to one another, right? That's and he knows that that alone is not always easy job for us. Amen. Much less to uh, trying to relate to someone you don't see all the time. Trying to relate with somebody you don't live with. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard enough trying to relate with my wife and kids and love them all the time. But much less that person who cuts me off when we work or takes their shopping cart and 
cuts me off, Brother David. Bad, right? But with these words, Paul writes, and he is saying, as as idealistically and as beautiful as this love is that he's talking about, he said. You and I can experience this kind of love in a world that is complicated, in a world that's so full of pain and sorrow. The kind of love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians can and it should exist. And if we can find that kind of love, you're going to find someone who is a great leader. Uh, everybody knows us knows we like Chinese we eat Chinese as often as we can in fact somebody saw one of the kids on the church said we're going to eat Chinese today uh, somebody else going to help them pay for it we're not going to eat Chinese today but we go enough to the Chinese restaurant there in, in Princeton that when we walk in Brother Donnie is if it's all five, you five come this way. Two unsweet teas, three sweet teas, and set us in a good spot. Me and Sister Cheryl went. Uh, we went Friday night. Matter of fact, we went to Princeton. We got really. We'll see you Sunday. Uh, I went up to get some of their sautéed shrimp they have, really good, and wasn't much left. And I was thinking, here's this one lady comes. She's super nice and friendly. She comes up, sets the bowl up there, takes a spoon out and hands it to me. She said, Get out of here. Get the fresh, is what she's telling me to do. Showing me just, she don't know my name, but I can tell the people who run that place generally cares for people. You, you know how it is to work for a boss that um, you're just a number. I work for both of them. You're just a number. But then you work for somebody you know that cares for you. They generally care. You're not just a number. You're not just whatever. That That's how we should be. It should be a love, Sister Valma, inside of us towards everybody. And this is the love that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about a love that makes us as Christians, that we should be leading this world. And if you're really going to be a leader, it's going to take this type of love that Paul's talking about. And when we look at the scope of these three chapters together, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, this is what Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about. It's about being a leader. And he said, look, you're going to be a leader. We need these gifts in your life. And in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse in 14, he begins talking about what the leadership brings us to this prophecy and leading the church. But it just, it right knows that. But hang on, if we're going to be a leader, you've got to love. And he goes through in 1 Corinthians, we talked about last week, and I, I went over a little bit here this morning how this is what love is not, but this is what love is. This is kind of love. It's something that supersedes uh, uh, the gifts of the spirits and knowledge and, and all this other stuff. It goes over all this. This is what why we need love, but this is what it is. And Paul 
begins this passage by saying this. Love suffers long. First thing he says about this love. Or another, another version puts it this way, Brother David. So love is patient. The Greek word that he uses can be translated either way, either patient or long-suffering. It basically means that love is something that endures a long time. It's something that doesn't easily give up. It keeps on persisting in spite of everything. It doesn't take a lot of talent on our part to suffer. Right? All of us suffer in one way or another. Some of you might be thinking this morning, I'm suffering through this sermon. Get down, brother. I hope not. But, but we don't have to have a graduate degree or graduate with honors to, to uh, uh, at the top of our class to, to uh to know how to suffer. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. Young. Male. Female. Everybody suffers. And some of us suffer more than others. But all of us suffer. In this passage Paul is saying that. There's a unique quality about love. He is describing this love that is willing to suffer for a long time. Suffer long. Everybody say suffer long. Synonyms for suffer. The word suffer. You know word synonyms mean words that similar or like it. It is words that similar to suffer is pain. It's sorrow. It's rejection. It's tribulation. In a nutshell, we can say suffering is experiencing something in life that we want very much not to experience. Amen. That's what suffering is. The, the, the key word to that, the key phrase in this is very much. We very much don't want to be doing this. Suffering is something that, that hurts. It's, it, it says, I don't want to experience this no more. Suffering is something when You've lost a loved one and you're in the middle of, of going through all that stuff. You don't want to be in that situation. It may be suffering is something that can be trivial. That's something unimportant. It may be something that's tragic. Suffering. It may be something more than being in a hurry and getting into the, uh, uh, the you know, the the self-check at Walmart or, or or maybe the express line at Walmart and, and all of a sudden you're like, you get in the express line because you're in a hurry, right? But there's that person in front of you that's fumbling through their purse or their pockets trying to find the exact change to pay for it. And you're thinking, would you just hurry up? You're suffering through that. You're like, hurry up. Or, or you think, I want an ice cream. So you jump in your car and you're rushing to Dairy Queen to get an ice cream and you get behind somebody that's just going so slow. You know what I'm talking about. That's experiencing something that you very much don't want to experience. Or it could be tragic. It could be cancer. That you're suffering with. It could be COPD. It could be seizures. It, it could be sugar diabetes. It could be uh, heart disease. It could be uh, many things like that, that that 
It's constantly reminds you that it's presence. It constantly reminds you that it's there because it's always inflicting pain of some sort in your life. That's suffering. Everybody say suffering. We don't like to suffer. Nobody does. You know? You have a loved one. I remember watching mom the last two weeks, watching her seemingly the suffering and her dying process. It wasn't easy. I didn't like it. I'm willing to suffer. I don't like to suffer. But Paul says that the love that he's talking about is willing to suffer for the thing that is loved. It's willing to endure that which is very much that we don't want to experience, but it does. We do so because of love. I just want to stop here and say that that kind of love is greatly needed in our time. Paul starting this off with talking about this love. And he said, let me tell you the first thing about this love I'm talking about. It's love that's going to suffer. It's love that is going to take some suffering and and, and uh, you know, but if, if I was to ask, hey, do you want some some love that's suffering love? Most of us are going to say, no, no. Who wants to suffer in love? Yet in this world where suffering is very real, folks. We know it's very real. I mean, if you've been keeping it up at all with Hurricane Michael, there's people on the coast, no doubt, are suffering. Whether they're, um, you know, I've seen good churches destroyed. I've seen just places, just people are suffering. Today, we're in our church having church, and, and some of us was complaining because it was a little cool. We walked in here at 60 degrees, and some of them down there just like to have a church that had four walls, and it was 60 degrees. The world's suffering. But maybe the willingness to suffer long is one of the most precious gifts that we can give to somebody. Amen. You see, Paul is talking about agape love. Everybody say agape love. We need to understand there's a difference between agape love and erotic love. The Greek word here used for love is agape. It's sometimes called a divine love. It's because uh, it is the, love, the word that is used to express God's love. It says God is love. It's an unselfish love that's caused... Uh, uh, it, it was the unselfish love that caused God to robe himself in flesh and come to this uh, uh, this earth as Jesus and to suffer on the cross for our sins. He gave himself because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave himself. This is the agape love that I'm talking about. Agape love moves us to help without expecting anything in return from somebody else. Our, our, our first reaction might be that, that that's not... It's not a big deal. I, uh, I do a lot of nice things without expecting anything returned. But is that really true? You know, basically, we're, we're really selfish people most of the time. And it seemed like every time, uh, let me just speak to me, every time uh, I, I do something, I, somewhere in my mind, I'm thinking, what can I get in return? Just recently got done listening to a book, The Five Love Languages uh, if you've never heard it or read it, you need to get it. It will change your world. It will change the way you love your wife and your kids and people, I promise you. And I just got done listening to that, and, and it goes through telling telling people about 
And we all have five different basic love languages. And, you know, some it's either we like physical touch or we like people to give us words, affirmation, or quality time with each other. It's a, it's a phenomenal book. And I, and I realize that uh, some of my what my love language is but and, and what my family's is. And even some of you, I figured out uh, how, how I need to maybe treat you and do different. I understand all that. But, but am I doing it just to get a response from you or am I doing it just because I love you? When I get that cup of coffee for my, my wife or do this for my kids, what am I really doing? Am I just doing it for them to give me a word of affirmation to make me feel better about myself? Or am I doing it just because I love them? It seems like at the very least we expect some kind of appreciation or recognition for what we've done. And, and if we don't get it, well, I, I know where I'm appreciated, so I'm just going to leave here, right? But this kind of love that I'm talking about will cause a parent to go through difficult times with a with a kid that, that may even say I don't care nothing about you and I don't love you but you keep loving them anyway you keep reaching for them and, and, and you you do the things you need to do you know it's the kind of love that well, all of a sudden when uh, there's a big bunch of people eating at a table but there's a, not a lot of food and all of a sudden mom or daddy decides I'm not hungry now that their kids can eat it's the kind of love I'm talking about agape love is a love that does something that that whenever uh, it, it's required, it, it, we, we, we're not looking for something in return. And then there's that eros, or that erotic love that I'm talking about. It's love that's controlled by desire. It's the kind of love that most of us initially get married on. It, it, excuse me for a lack of a better term, it's the type of love that we get married on that's called lust. Because she looks fine, or he looks fine, and then look at my, whoo, man, they're nice. But come on, folks, we all get older. And that eros love has to run out, and eventually it has to be agape love. It's that love that you just choose to love, and you choose to suffer through the bad breath, and you choose to suffer through the arguments, and you choose to suffer through the stuff that you're going through. It's a love that's not, not based on desire, but based on a choice. The very nature of Eros love is concerned only with my desires, and it will move us literally to eliminate its own suffering when necessary. It's that Eros love is all of a sudden, when I start suffering, I check out. I don't need this relationship no more. When you look at Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, when Jesus and the apostles reached Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, we find the book of Matthew 26 verses, you can read 37 through 39 later if you want, but we see that he took Peter, James, and John with him and to the garden, and the Bible says he began to be very sorrowful, very troubled, and he said, he said, my soul is overwhelmed. He was saying, I, I have so much sorrow, but he the Bible lets us know that he went a little farther. He went, even though he was sorrow, knowing what was come upon him, he went a little farther and he put his face on the ground and he prayed this prayer. He said, let this cup pass for me. But he ended up saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
That is agape love. That is long-suffering love. That is Jesus saying, I will suffer through it all for the sake of the others that needs to be saved. That's what I'm preaching about today. This is the love that I'm talking about this world needs, this church needs, this entire, everybody in this world needs us to have that love. That's what Paul was saying. I know the gifts are important. I know we want the prophecies, but it's not going to come until we get this love in our spirit that starts with long-suffering love that's willing to endear some things. Paul says long-suffering, and, and, and you know what? We, we can find a loophole in this and say, you know, he says long-suffering. It didn't say eternal suffering, right? That means at some point I can, I can quit this uh, uh, long-suffering with this, and there's going to be an end to it. We try to find that. That loophole. And, it happened. and when we start asking Paul, well, how long do I have to suffer with this love? I don't know. He don't give us the answer to that. I don't know the deadlines. I don't know. We all know if we have to suffer long. He kind of leaves it dangling there. But, it, it, you know, but does it, but does suffer, but does suffering last forever? No, not necessarily. We can see in the scriptures of Romans chapter 1. Well, I won't read it for the sake of it, but he begins talking about how the ones that, when they knew God, and they, but they glorified him not as God, and they were not thankful. Their vain imaginations, their foolish hearts, and they began to profess themselves as wise, and, but they was fools. He goes on talking down through there to finally, verse 28 of Romans 1, he said, um, He ends up saying they did not like to retain God in their knowledge and he gave them over to be reprobate mind to do these things which were convenient. And we, we find that the long-suffering of God does run out. And, and there is points maybe in our life, Brother Donnie, that when you love somebody, but that, that long-suffering does have to come to a point that finally you just have to say, you know, I, I love you, but I have to back away. I know I know there is points for that. I, I know there's been times, it's happened very few times, but I know there's been people that's come to this church when finally God says, you know, and, and look, just you hear all back and happy. You know, somebody come to church and they left for the day, but I, I have, uh, I still pray for them every day. I mean, I, I got a list that I pray for often and many, most every day. But here all back, there was, there was some people that God said, remove them from the list. And it hurt me. It pained me. And then Sister Lisa, I took them off. And I quit praying for them every day. Do I not pray for them? I still pray for them at times. But I don't pray for them like I did with David. God knew it was consuming me. It's time, it gets, it's, it's time to let them go. I've had some, Brother Donnie, when the Lord said, just let them go. It's not easy. I understand it comes a point for that, but by and large, folks, we have to, you know, there's a time when God says, that's enough. This is killing you. you got to stop. But by and large, Brother Donnie, the love that he's talking about says, we, you know, we get how long, long suffering, you know, 
And I don't think God expects a spouse, this particular ladies in this situation, to have to stay with a man that beats her and drinks and abuses her just constantly over and over and over. I understand that, you know, the, the sanctified wife can sanctify the unsanctified husband. I understand all that, but I think there comes a point where that woman just needs to say, you know what, I don't have to live in this and you can just leave. Get out of that situation. And sometimes they'll change some things. I understand that. I understand there does have to come a point with that long suffering. But folks, we have to understand that the important part of this love that Paul's talking about is be willing to love people without expecting something. This is the love I'm talking about. See, because long-suffering produces some positive things in our life. For example, long-suffering produces patience. Hmm. Long-suffering produces patience. Let me tell you what, you have kids, we've all, most of us had kids in here, right? When your babies are little, this is what I'm talking about, long-suffering. You're trying to get them out of diapers. And because they're expensive, you know, I'm going to get them out as quick as I can. Let's go to something that's going to cost me this money, you know. No, but you got to be patient with them. They're growing up. But it teaches you pay. Long-suffering teaches us patience. And this is, this is an important part of living for God. If you don't have patience, we've got to learn to wait on God. And one way he teaches us is by long-suffering. Patience is, patience, it teaches us to just take time. You know, Alabama sings a song. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. Oh, come on, let me be carnal for a second, all right? But that's us. We're in a time when we rush constantly. When's the last time you just took time? To just sit down when nobody else is around and just think. And not on stupid stuff, but on good stuff. And just think about how you're blessed and those around you. We're, we're, in a, we're in a time that teaches us not to have this. Because patience, another, a good word for long suffering is, is patience. All right? we're, we're in a generation that just pushes, rush, rush, go, 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 get here to here. And, and don't take time. Just to be patient and to to uh, embrace the fact that we just look in a mirror and, and realize maybe you're just not as bad as a person as you think you are. Now, not, let's don't go to the other side of it and think you're so prideful that you think you are something because we're nothing without Jesus. But we're, you know, patience. See, patience it, it teaches us to accept. Who we are and what we are and what God wants us to be. Patience teaches us to understand that when that baby's born at one years old, it doesn't eat. Or babies at one years old, it don't eat steak. It takes time. It doesn't walk immediately. Uh, long suffering teaches us to that even our Christian walk. It takes some time. Sister Lois and her testimony up here is just absolutely beautiful. The three, I mean, the three years going on four years you've been here now. Be four years this year. Four years. Well, what's baby steps, sis? But look where you are compared to where you was when you showed up four years ago. To help us realize this long suffering, it helps us realize that that we're we're not going to solve all the difficult problems in the world. But we serve a God that's in control, and patience helps us to realize that uh, that we 
We don't have a mind like Einstein, but we got a God that can overshadow us and give us it's his glory, not us. Patience helps us to realize that we we might not be the apostles. But we can serve him faithfully and we can learn to pray and read the word of God and through long suffering and patience, brother David, that, that we can change our world. We can change this city. We can change our, our everything around us. Patience helps us to realize that we we can accept ourselves and our situations in life, but not accept that that we can accept that evil is here, but God can change the situation. Accepting the situation and being able to suffer with it. And suffer long until God moves on it. Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we can read where Daniel prayed for 21 days. And we're in the microwave generation, okay? I want it now. Daniel. You know, you know how many times I've you know how many times I've counseled with people and just said, look, if you will begin to consistently start a prayer life every day praying, read your Bible every day, and, and I've tried that, it don't work. How long did you try it? Week, two weeks. That's not long suffering. See, long suffering teaches us to be patient. The scripture in Galatians 6 and 9. Don't be weary in well-doing for in due season. You shall reap if you faint not. This word faint, they say, look, if you faint, why are you going to be faint? Because you're going to be suffering along the way. That's why Jesus said, those who endure to the end, they're going to be saved. There's going to be some enduring. There's going to be some long suffering. And, and, and this long suffering develops courage in our life. Courage to stand up against what is evil and say, I, I, I hate that. I'm not standing for that. To, to, to hate the famine, the poverty, the disease, and the sin, and all this, and say, you know what? I'm not giving in to that. I'm going to suffer through this world's sin and all this stuff. I'm going to be a soldier and I'm going to battle with them as long as I have to on this earth. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to make it the soldier to love people out of their sin. Not everybody that comes in the church gets off from their addictions immediately. Everybody comes in on the first night. Some they're delivered of, of all their addictions immediately. Others we have to suffer for a while. We've got to suffer through the things we're dealing with. And this long suffering produces a love. A love that can look across the street and see your neighbor that's in trouble and to be moved to help them with their need and not expect anything from them. To have a grocery shower and they may show up to, uh, but never show up again for weeks or, or give a love offering to somebody and they may not show up back on the next service or for another year but brother Donnie we're doing it because it's right and we love them and we're having long suffering because you never know down the road where it may change them it's a love that forgets about Ourself and thinks about others. It's a love that will give and give and give and give some more. It's it, it, the greatest example is God. And you ever wondered why 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 God just say? You ever wonder why God said, I'm tired of you. 
You wonder why God sometimes don't look at us and just says, this being us and just goes, smash our head. I look at sometimes and I think about the things God's told me he wanted in my life and I and I look and I'm some of them things still out there and I think, God, why are you put up with me? It's the agape love. It's the love that he's telling us that we need in our life, that we we love people for a long time. Long suffering. You guys said long suffering. This is what Paul starts off. To tell us what love is. Now, there's some other stuff we'll get into. Love, but you know what? Love's kind and patient, doesn't want this stuff and all this, but none of that matters if your love's not long suffering. Because it can't be kind, it can't be all these other things. If at first, because what long, when he's saying love is long suffering, what he is saying is love is something that you're suffering long because you're not looking to get necessarily anything out of it. You're just doing it because it's right. I fell out of love. We fell out of love, so we got a divorce. No. You fell out of lust. And you didn't choose to love. That's why. Love is a choice. And when you choose to love, you, you choose to make your spouse a cup of coffee and take it to her even though y'all fussed that last night. You choose to um, me and buy your wife a rose every once in a while. Not because she fixed you a nice supper, but because you love her. You choose just to look at them and say, you know, I've I heard, I've heard this a lot lately. You know, people, and God forbid, if you said this, you, you need help, okay? You know, if you, you need to tell your, your, you need to tell your wife and your kids every day you love them. You just need to. You know, if you don't, you need. Somebody said, well, I told her when we got married that I loved her, and if anything changes, I'll tell her. Let me tell you, if somebody, if some, you don't tell them, you don't tell them you love them, somebody's going to. All right. That's how, that's why people, you know, again, you need to you go to your local library down here, you don't have a library card, and get it. You can check out five love languages. If you don't have no money, it don't cost you nothing. Okay. You need to read it. You need to listen to it. It'll change your world. All right. It will change your world. And it's everything it has so much to do with what I'm talking about today because this is the kind of love that God said, look, I'm just going to start you off right now. If we're going to talk about this type of said, we're going to talk about this love deal. Love, number one, love's long suffering. And what he's saying when he says this, love is something that you're loving and you're not looking for nothing out of it. You're just loving because that's what God is and that's what you need to do. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he's long suffering toward us. Why is he long suffering? This is why he says it. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter answers this best when he says, uh, 
You know, people, people start asking Peter. Uh, Jesus said he's coming back. Why does he not come back yet? Yeah, I'm here. I've heard the question. Jesus says he's coming back. How come he ain't come back yet? It's this verse I just read. He's long suffering. He doesn't want anybody to die. He, he said, "Look, he, the, the Lord. He's he's slow to keep his promise, but he's patient because he doesn't want nobody to die and be lost. So the love of God keeps on giving." Loving us when we're unlovable. Loving us when we are rebellious. His love keeps on giving because it's long-suffering. Some of us may be walking closer to Jesus than others today. Others may be walking a little farther away. Maybe, maybe we've had a week of trials and tribulations and we've found that erotic, lustful love raised up its head more often than the agape love in our life. But I come to tell someone today, this morning, there is a more excellent way to deal with life today. Amen. It is a love that transcends everything that we can even think about. And it begins with long-suffering. It's a love of God that reaches to the highest mountain and it goes to the lowest valley. It's a love that will reach into the slums and will reach into the mansions. It's a love that will reach into the good moral person that never sinned or never does nothing morally bad but they just need Jesus. And it reaches to the Charles Mansion that is a serial killer. It's love that held Jesus on the cross. Long-suffering love is the beginning of real love. Because without suffering long and love, it's only that erotic or sensual love. And that kind of love is temporal. But agape love, long-suffering love, changes the world. What would happen if you went home to your house and you began to practice agape love, long-suffering love, and everybody in your house begins to notice that something in your world is different because you love them because you're choosing to love them, not based on whether they perform like you think they should perform. You stand for today. I close with this absolutely awesome quote that I found from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot is the husband to Jim Elliot, the one who said, he is no fool who will give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's the one that was killed by the Aka Indians in trying to reach them. Elizabeth Elliot said this incredible quote. She said, this hard place in which you perhaps find yourself as the very place in which God is giving you opportunity to look only to Him, to spend time in prayer and to learn long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, in short, to learn the depths of the love that Christ Himself has poured out on all of us. For this church to become what God has destined for us to be, for you and I to become what the men and women that God has destined for us to be, 
we have got to be founded on the real love of God. Is the love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love that he starts when he begins to name what love is with the words. Charity is long-suffering. You know why we have trouble with long-suffering? Because we live in a selfie generation and we've made everything about me. Jesus made everything about us. I believe it's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 when it says, We're foreseeing, we're compassed about, and there's so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every way the sin which does so easily beset us. He goes on to say, You know, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You think about that. He had, for the joy. Then, now, what are we talking about? What picture we paint? We're painting a picture of the cross. We're painting a picture of Jesus going to the cross. And he says, for the joy that's set before him. Was the joy of the cross? No. That was the long suffering. That's the suffering part. The joy was what that cross was going to bring. It was going to bring salvation to every one of us. That was a joy. And if we, we, view, we view love in this, this instant as starting with long suffering, the fact that, look, if I suffer through the terrible twos of my kids, I suffer through uh, the diapers, and I suffer through all this stuff from my kids, one of these days, they're going to grow up and they're going to be good kids, and I love them and give them the time and all this. You know what? You understand what I'm saying? So today, long suffering. Everybody say long suffering. I challenge you to begin today. Let be something different in your world. That you begin, you leave this place, and you begin to find ways to love people without returning. I challenge you to leave this place, start at home, begin to love your wife and your kids, show them their, their love without looking for something in return. It will change your world. It will change this church. I challenge that every time somebody walks through them doors, I don't care what they've done to you. I don't care how they've talked about you. I don't care if they took an entire day and they blasted you on Facebook all day long. I don't care what they've done. What would happen if you and I would look at them and be like Jesus when he looked down at the people and said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we can begin to love people like Jesus loved people. Let's start at home. Let's take it to our grocery store. Let's take it to the car. Let's take it to the doors and people walk through here. And let's begin to love people like they need to, like God designed us to love them. And we will change this world. Welcome to come pray. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, I ask you to help us to love. Love you. Love people. Help us, God, to love. Love with all we have. Love with everything within us, God. Help us, Jesus. Help us to love. Help us to magnify your name, to praise your name, God. God, help us, God. Help us, God. Hallelujah. Help us in this place today, God. Help us to love people.